just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your week is going well. So far, so good with me. But I got to tell you, it is cold as shit here. Now, I know that's not surprising. I live in Minnesota. It's December. You should expect it to be cold. I was born and raised here. This is nothing new. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. Now, as I've gotten older, the heat has been more problematic for me, but I will never, ever bitch about the heat because I'd much rather have the heat than the ice cold weather. I woke up this morning. The temperature was six above. Now, keep in mind, in this part of the country, you could wake up someday and it'd be 30 below with a 50 below wind chill. That's just fucked up. But even six above is a pain in the ass. You're getting older. Your body starts to creak more. The weather affects your body more. I'm just not built for this anymore. Now, you'd say, well, why don't you move out of the state? Well, I could, but I got grandkids here. I got family here. I will be getting out of the state with some regularity here. Now that my wife works for an airline and we can fly cheaply or free, we'll be taking trips every month to some warmer climes just to get out of it for a time. But we can't really move from the state because my grandkids, for Christ's sake, I went and saw them today. My little granddaughter has a dance class, which is fucking hilarious. She's 19 months old. All the other kids are 19 months old, and they have a dance class. It's not really dance. It's these kids running around doing crazy shit, and it is hilarious, and it's great fun to watch. But I think the thing that bothers me most about cold weather is the potential danger from it. I remember back in the 90s, my wife were and I were at a comedy club. And there was this comedian that came in. He was from California. And that night it happened to be about 20 below with a 30 below wind chill. And it was fucking cold. It was amazing that anybody even came out to see him. Who goes out in that fucking kind of weather? Well, anyway, his first line as he came out after experiencing 20 below weather and a 30 below wind chill, the first thing he says (laughs) in his stand-up is, Who the fuck would live in a place where you can die from simply going outside? (laughs) And he's absolutely right. I think that's the thing I fear the most. Not so much for me, but for my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and all those sorts of things. If you're in Minnesota and you break down and nobody's around and it's five above, your car doesn't run. It doesn't take long to succumb to that kind of temperature hypothermia. You can die from this shit. And all winter long, when my family members are out driving along, trying to avoid the crazy fucking people that don't know how to drive in the winter, worrying about them stalling someplace and being out in the cold. And now that I've gotten older, a little less tough, I'm worried about it for myself, too. Fortunately, we have... uh, uh, Something similar to AAA. It's not AAA, but it's something similar to that. So that's, that's helpful. 
But still, there's a period of time you've got to sit there in the cold waiting for the help. And it's absolutely frightening to think that my wife or my granddaughter might be in the cold someplace waiting for some help and might have to wait 20 minutes, a half hour. If it's snowing out, it could take three hours before somebody gets to you. That's why I've told everybody in my family, my time is relatively flexible. If you have a problem on the road, I don't care where the fuck you are. Call me. I'll be there and pick you up as quickly as I possibly can. And that's a sad thing. You live in a state where it's that dangerous and you're that fearful of people succumbing to low temperatures. And to be perfectly honest with you, we had six degrees when I got out in the car this morning. But every so often you'll have stretches in Minnesota where it's 10 below, 20 below. And you become so acclimated to it when it finally does reach 6 or 7 or even 10 degrees above zero. That kind of feels nice. There's a distinct difference between 10 above and 10 below. And you know what the difference is? I've noticed this. (laughs) When you go outside and it's 10 above, it's cold as shit. When you go outside and it's 10 below or even colder... It's a whole different experience. Your body kind of contracts because you're shaking and you're cold. You know it's below zero when ice starts to form in your nostrils, in your nostril hair. <laughs> it's, it's weird. And if you have a beard, you start getting icicles and that sort of thing. It's really fucked up. Now, Moving away from here, that's a distinct possibility. Can't do it because of my grandkids. I'm not moving away from my grandkids. We'll get away a couple times a month, go someplace warm for a few days, and hopefully thaw out and then come back and do it all over again. The only advantage to winters now as opposed to winters when I was young, time goes by a lot faster when you get older. So you go from December to March when things start to thaw out. You still get a lot of snow, but it's thawing out. And um, it feels better. You're not going to get the sub-zero temperatures and stuff, but you go through this shit. And here's the other thing. I also hate snow because driving in snow is a pain in the ass. People always say, how can you live in Minnesota and hate the snow? What about ice fishing, skiing, snowmobiling? Well, I don't do any of that shit. I stay out of the snow because that shit is cold. (laughs) But here's the thing. This summer, when I went out in my boat, I busted up my prop. Not because I wasn't careful, because the water was so low in the lake because there was no precipitation, no snow, not enough snow, and not enough rain, and uh, you're hitting rocks and all kinds of stuff. It was really hard to navigate the lake when it was so low. So I'm hoping for some snow, and be perfectly honest with you, I hope that snow comes late at night, and then plenty of time for people to plow it out, because driving while it's snowing and it's messy, that is frightening. Not only for your own sake, as far as the way you're driving, but... uh, for the people around you, because they're fucking nuts. I spent 27 years as a traffic reporter. And in my job doing the traffic reporting, I watched cameras all over the freeway systems. All at one time, there were as many as five or 600 cameras going on. I'd look at the cameras. 
I'd report what was going on. But when you sit every day for 27 years watching 600 cameras, you see some scary fucked up shit. I mean, day to day when you're driving down the road, you don't see a lot of this stuff. Like a car fire, you think, well, that's an oddity. That's rare. No, it's not. It happens all the fucking time. Rollovers. Well, that's a once in a lifetime thing. No, that happens every fucking day. You just don't notice it unless you're sitting where I was sitting watching 600 cameras every day for 27 years. Shit's frightening on the roadways, and I'm never concerned about my family or myself. I'm concerned about all the crazy fucks around me and how they drive, because people will get into the snow, they have four-wheel drive, and they think they can drive as fast as they want. Well, I got to tell you, when there's ice on the roadway, four-wheel drive doesn't mean shit. That just means four wheels spinning as opposed to two. So, (laughs) enough ranting about the cold and the snow. I will always bitch about the cold and the snow. I've done it all my life. I will continue till the day I die. Now, the heat can be a problem, as I said, but I'll never bitch about it. I'd much rather have that. Everything goes a lot easier when it's warmer than when it's sub-zero. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the world today. There's a lot of shit going on. Now, you'll remember Mark Meadows. He was the chief of staff under Donald Trump. Now, as chief of staff, he was with Donald Trump on January 6th during the insurrection. He was talking to Donald Trump. He was talking to other people in the administration. He'd written several notes and those sorts of things. And, of course, the House Select Committee to investigate the insurrection wanted to talk to him. So they sent him a subpoena so that he would come and testify. Well, of course, Mark Meadows, among some other folks, have said, well, look, I don't have to testify because I have executive privilege. Well, clearly that's been proven not to be the case. The law states you have to be a sitting president to assert executive privilege, and that doesn't include a former president, Donald Trump, or a former chief of staff. You don't have executive privilege unless Joe Biden tells you you have executive privilege, and Joe Biden told you that you fucking don't. So anyway, Mark Meadows refused to comply with the subpoena. Now, he's not the only one. Steve Bannon refused to comply with the subpoena. Now, there was a threat that they were going to refer him to the DOJ. He would be charged with criminal contempt of of Congress. Everybody was waiting for it to happen, waiting for it to happen. Oh, it's never going to happen. But they did it. They sent him to the DOJ. The DOJ charged him with criminal contempt of Congress. And guess what? Mark Meadows says, you know, Maybe I will talk. Maybe I'll sit down and talk to you, provide the documents you want, and uh, because I really don't want to go to jail for criminal contempt of Congress. Now, people are talking about, well, Steve Bannon's not going to go to court until July. Why so long? That's just, he's just running out the clock. Look, it doesn't matter when Steve Bannon goes to court. It doesn't matter. He will be convicted, but it really doesn't matter. The point of sending uh, Steve Bannon to the DOJ was to encourage these other folks to understand that we ain't fucking around. That if you don't testify and you don't comply with the subpoena, you're going to be charged with criminal contempt of Congress. And it's worked. 
it has worked quite a bit. They've interviewed over 250,000 people, or 250 people, 250,000, that's fucking nuts. 250 people that are all tied to the White House, uh, to the administration, and to the, uh, to the insurrection. So they got a lot of information that some idiot like Mark Meadows might give out. They've talked to a number of people. We just told you yesterday that uh, Mark Short, who was the chief of staff for Mike Pence, is cooperating. Now, he knows a lot of shit, and he understands what might happen if he decides not to cooperate. So he's going to cooperate. So anyway, Mark Meadows says, yeah, I'll sit down and talk. You know, he even, in fact, delivered some documents that were demanded by the House Select Committee. He already did that. He sent the documents. Now all they really want to do is talk to him about those documents. (laughs) But hold on. Things change. You see, Mark Meadows also wrote a book. It's called Chief for the Chief. Like anybody's buying that piece of shit. Anyway, in this book, one of the uh, media outlets or several of the media outlets picked out a portion of the book, quoted the book. And in this book, Mark Meadows said that Donald Trump had hidden the fact that he had COVID. He went to several meetings, several get-togethers, even went to the Joe Biden debate not telling anybody that he had COVID. In fact, at the debate, he was supposed to take a test. Somehow he scammed his way out of doing it. He sat there in the debate, and and he had COVID. Now, Donald Trump heard this from the book, and he was upset. He was mad, which is exactly the opposite of what Mark Meadows had hoped for. Mark Meadows is an ass-kissing trump fuck to the first degree. He wants to make his Lord and Savior happy because somehow he believes that Donald Trump will help him in the future. They're still holding on to the fact that Donald Trump has a lot of his base still holding on to him, even though he's a fucking complete mess. And he didn't want to make him mad. Well, the unfortunate thing is, Mark Meadows did make him mad. And Donald Trump came out talking about that story, about having COVID, not telling anybody, infecting a bunch of people. And he said, that's fake news. (laughs) He just said his chief of staff's book was fake news. Now, you would think somebody like Mark Meadows trying to sell a book would try to stand up for his book, support what he said, show the facts that prove out what he's saying. But does Mark Meadows do that? Fuck no. He doesn't do that. What Mark Meadows does is says, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I guess Donald Trump's right. It's fake news. My book is fake news. Well, if that isn't the epitome of integrity, <laughs> Incredibility. Jesus Christ. So now Mark Meadows has a problem. He has a book out that pissed off Donald Trump. He wants Donald Trump to be his best buddy. So in my mind, what happened was that Donald Trump talked to Mark Meadows. 
talked to him about the book, of course, and then brought up the fact that he's going to be testifying because he's too afraid to go to the DOJ and go to court for criminal contempt of Congress. Well, you know Donald Trump. I'm sure he's trying to talk um, Mark Meadows out of testifying. Because, frankly, Mark Meadows has a lot of information that could uh, show Donald Trump is guilty in this whole insurrection thing. So he's trying to talk him out of it. Except Donald Trump's mad, so he's probably coercing, blackmailing, threatening, doing whatever. Now, Mark Meadows is in a tight spot. He says he's going to testify, but now his Lord and Savior is mad at him. He doesn't know what to do. So he does the only thing he knows how to do is to cave in to dipshit Donald Trump. And now he says he's not going to testify. Which is weird because he already submitted some documents. All he really has to do is answer questions about the documents he already uh, sent. They're not sending them back now that he allegedly changed his mind. So... He says he's not going, and here's why he says he's not going. He says, in talking to the uh, representatives and the people that are going to be questioning him, he doesn't believe that they are going to respect the the, uh, limits of the questions they can ask based on executive privilege. Really, Mark? Really? (laughs) Didn't we already decide that executive privilege for a former chief of staff or even a former president isn't a thing, isn't a factor in this case? But that's all you got to say. We know that's not going to play out well. And now Benny Thompson, the chairman of the House Select Committee, has said, look, he's scheduled to come in. If he doesn't come in, then we're going to do just what we said. We're going to refer him to the DOJ uh, for criminal contempt of Congress. Now, he's going to lose because he was given a subpoena. He was ordered to testify and appear, and he didn't. That's the only law they're going to be looking into. And clearly, he didn't do it. He'll be just like Steve Bannon. So now, um, the th- <laughs> so now Mark Meadows isn't between a rock and a hard place. He wanted to testify so he didn't have to go to jail to lie for Donald Trump, but now Donald Trump is mad, so he doesn't want to make him matter, and he wants to get Donald Trump back on his side, so he figures he can do that by not testifying. So Mark Meadows at this point is absolutely fucked. I mean, he's in bad shape as it stands right now. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Now, you've got a couple of other people that are going to come up and show up and allegedly testify. There's Jeffrey Clark, the deputy attorney general from that whole letter thing that he was going to send out to the uh, swing states. And now Roger Stone, who's given a subpoena. Apparently, they're both going to show up. But, but they are going to be pleading the fifth. As I've said in a previous podcast, this is a slippery slope. If they plead the fifth on every question that they are asked, obviously they are obstructing. And if they do that, then they will still be referred to the DOJ for criminal contempt of Congress. That's not going to get them out of it. 
Now, what they may do is just pick and choose those things that they will offer the Fifth Amendment as their plea. Uh, That means we'll get some information from them, but those areas that they're afraid of, that they think they might be guilty of something, that they're legitimately guilty of something, they'll plead the fifth. Now, this works out okay for the House Select Committee, because once they do that, if they're being specific about what they won't answer, then the House Select Committee knows exactly what to look for and what to look into and investigate. And since they have already had 250 people testify, they probably have the information. They probably have the uh, validation of that information without these people talking. So now you've got validation of evidence against these people. These people have uh, pled the fifth. And that is essentially proving that you're guilty. You just said it. You said, if I answer this, I could implicate myself. So you must be guilty. So don't worry about these people pleading the fifth. They think they're smart. They think they're going to get out of this. They are not. They are not going to get out of it. There is no way in hell they're going to get free of this. When the government gets hold of you, it doesn't let go. And it's going to shake you like a fucking rag doll. And I got to be honest with you, with Jeffrey Clark, with Roger Stone with uh, Mark Meadows, if that's what it takes and we don't get anything out of them, so be it. Let's just fucking tear them up. Because you see, here's the deal. Once you go to the DOJ and now you're going to court for criminal contempt of Congress, these people can't compel, the DOJ can't compel you to talk. All they can do is take you through court, show that you didn't comply with the subpoena, put you on trial, convict you, and send you to fucking jail. So my point is, especially with Mark Meadows here, he's got to be careful. Because once he gets over to the DOJ, it's too late to change your mind. They're all trying to run out the clock. But what happens to them really doesn't matter. The more people we send to the DOJ, either by way of not complying with a subpoena or having evidence exposed by Congress, by the House Select Committee, That's just going to cause more of a mess and more evidence and more things coming out. Because remember, remember what uh, Liz Cheney said about the House Select Committee. Everything's been pretty much behind closed doors. So we haven't really seen all of what's going on. We have no idea. And as I said in previous podcasts, they're just producing the show because the show is coming. Liz Cheney said that uh, there would be uh, public hearings coming up right after the first of the year. So these people they have been questioning may be coming out in public and exposing the evidence that the select committee already knows about. And that's the whole point of this. There's two things that the House Select Committee could do. They can expose all this evidence, all this criminality, all this corruption to the general public so people know what exactly happened. Then watch how the polls work at this point. Once it's been shown, once you've seen it, you've got to make a choice. Now, people in the base will love Donald Trump no matter what the fuck he does. But I'm talking about the people that are in the middle. Because those are the people that are going to decide elections. If they're in the middle and don't fall in love with Donald Trump, but uh, they can't possibly vote for him after what is exposed 
that is going to help the Democrats. I keep hearing these people saying, oh, 2022, it's a foregone conclusion. It's going to be the Republicans taking over the House and the Senate. That is absolute bullshit. That is absolute fucking bullshit. Don't believe that. I mean, it could happen, depending on how the Democrats handle things between now and then. But uh, it's a whole different situation than we've seen before. There's going to be a lot of things happening in this country between now and 2022, and it's going to shape how people perceive the Republicans and the Democrats. So just wait. And don't presume that 2022 is a uh, gimme for the Republicans. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, so Joe Biden had a little Zoom call with a fellow by the name of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, the Russian president. Now, it's an interesting call. It was about two hours long. And essentially what Joe Biden was talking to him about was this Ukraine situation. The Russians are amassing something like 90,000 troops near the border of the Ukraine. The uh, supposition is that uh, at some point the Russians and Vladimir Putin are going to invade the Ukraine and take it over. They tried it once seven years ago. didn't work. Obama handled that. But they might try it again. Now, here's the problem for Vladimir Putin. For four years under Donald Trump, he was able to run rogue, do whatever the fuck he wanted, because all Donald Trump did is kiss his ass. But this time around, we've got Joe Biden. Joe Biden knows Vladimir Putin. Joe Biden has a lot of experience, and he's not going to allow this to happen. Some people might think, what are you going to do? You're going to get a bunch of troops for the Ukraine, give them a bunch of weapons and stuff, and fight these goddamn Russians. No, that's not going to happen. Because the real wars in this world are happening in a couple of places, economically, through the media, through the social media. That's how these wars are being fought now. Not to say there couldn't be some actual wars with uh, bombs and guns and even nuclear weapons. Weapons. That's certainly a possibility, but that's not going to happen in this case. You see, some people have been talking about letting Ukraine come into NATO, which is a much different situation. Russia is not in the NATO group. Now, if you fuck around with a NATO nation, then NATO has its own fighting force, and they will go out there and they will fucking tangle with whoever. So, Putin is really worried about Ukraine getting NATO acceptance because Russia won't be getting NATO acceptance. So Vladimir Putin is worried about that. So that's hanging over Vladimir Putin's head. Now, Joe Biden, the only thing he can really go at him with is uh, diplomatic and economic sanctions. And this worries Vladimir Putin, his country is a little shaky economically, so he needs all the help he can get. And if America decides to stop helping or stop providing things or stop exporting things, that's a problem for Russia and their economy. Even moreover, if America does this, you can expect other countries to do that, and now Russia's really in trouble. So Russia's playing this game, trying to be the tough guy. They aren't going to invade 
you, the Ukraine is going to cost them too much. And I'm not talking about a firefight. I'm talking about economically and just t- taking apart their entire country economically and diplomatically. And so they aren't going to do it. But still, Joe Biden has to sit down and uh, be the tough guy for once. Not like Donald Trump, who let him do whatever he wanted to do. Vladimir Putin was his best buddy. That's not the case with Joe Biden. Joe Biden has to be tough. And he talked to Vladimir Putin for about two hours today. And um, I don't know if any hard and fast decisions have been made, but at least Vladimir Putin knows where Joe Biden stands and what he's capable of, because Joe Biden did say that. He basically said, if you do this, we're going to do that. And somebody like Vladimir Putin may not like it, but he can respect it. That's how you have to deal with bullies. You've got to shove it back in their face. You've got to give them some reason to have a second thought to attack. And that's exactly what Joe Biden did. Now, it was interesting, as I'm watching the news today, there's a uh, clip of a gentleman by the name of uh, Gary Kasparov. I think that's the correct way to pronounce the name. And he was saying that Joe Biden looked weak in this situation because what Joe Biden should have done, now remember, he's Russian. And do you remember Gary Kasparov? He was a uh, chess champion. He was a great chess player in Russia. So what the fuck he has to do with talking about politics, especially American politics, I don't know. But what he suggested, and I understand his point, what he said is, if you want to play with the tough boys, you got to be a tough boy yourself. And that's true. He suggests that what Joe Biden should have done is gone into this video meeting and said, here's the fucking deal. You're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're not going to stop until you're done. Thank you. Hang up and walk off. His belief was that this should have been no longer than five minutes. Because once you get into a conversation with Vladimir Putin, he thinks he's sharp enough where now we're in negotiations. So he's suggesting that Joe Biden gave in a little bit by allowing this conversation to go two hours. Well, I understand what Gary Kasparov is saying. And in spite of the fact he's a genius chess player, he has to understand one thing. We've got two extremely powerful companies countries that are nuclear powers. There's a little something called diplomacy. You can't just walk into Vladimir Putin and say, fuck off, you're doing this, we're leaving. You can't do that. Because somebody like Vladimir Putin, who's got an ego the size of a fucking ship, is going to get pissed and he's going to come back. Now you've started this pissing contest between two of the most powerful nuclear-speaking countries in the world. That's going to destabilize our two nations and the rest of the world because they're going to be scared shitless. So as much as Gary Kasparov makes a good point, that doesn't work on this level. It might work in the schoolyard. It might work in business, but it won't work on this level. And uh, maybe you should go back to playing fucking chess because I don't even want to hear about this shit. Now, let's talk about some diplomacy here. We've got another situation with yet another major power in this country, and I'm talking about China. China's doing all kinds of fucked up shit from hacking to 
uh, all kinds of shit. I mean, it's a horrible place. They have billions and billions of people. Their economy is pretty good, but the way they treat people, uh, the human relations that they have with the people in their country is horrific. And it's not something that Americans subscribe to or endorse. So we have a lot of problems with China. And because of those problems with China, and they are going to be hosting the Winter Olympics, there was some talk about boycotting the Winter Olympics. Now, that was done one time in my life. I think it was 80 during the Summer Olympics. And all these poor athletes that trained their whole lives to get this platform in the Olympics weren't allowed to go because of a boycott. I give Joe Biden credit in this situation. There is going to be a boycott, but not with the athletes. The boycott is going to be with uh, the diplomatic folks that show up there, the groups of politicians and uh, uh, hierarchy that go to these events. Joe Biden has said the athletes are coming. All the big shots, they're not coming. We're not bowing to China. Well, this pisses off China. China says, China says, this violates Olympic spirit. (laughs) Oh, really, China? What about the shit you violate by stealing ideas and copying products and hacking our 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 companies and our country for that matter? How about that? They don't quite get it. They're trying to play the game. We didn't do anything. You're just being mean. Fuck you. I think Joe Biden's doing the right thing. Don't take these young people who are trained athletes, who have trained for this moment in time, don't take that away from them. They're not part of this whole diplomatic problem between China and America. But you have to show some kind of force, some kind of pushback in these circumstances. So to boycott it diplomatically probably is the best way to go. It's... uh, It's going to be interesting to see how China reacts. They're not happy about it. I don't know what they can do about it, but I have to give Joe Biden credit. He made the right choice. He's accomplishing what he needs to accomplish without costing all these athletes their careers because, you know, they trained for four years to be in this position. And then all of a sudden, some old white guy in a fucking White House says, yeah, you can't go. That's bullshit. That is absolute bullshit. So this situation, the way Joe Biden is handling it, is the best possible option given the circumstances. Now, I also wanted to talk about uh, a problem we've been hearing about for months, and that has to do with raising the debt ceiling. We have to raise the debt ceiling or this country will default on its loans. And if it defaults on its loans, there will be millions of jobs lost. The stock market will crash. The economy will tank. Literally billions and billions of dollars in personal wealth will disappear. We're talking like 401ks. We're talking about investments, all those sorts of things. Money that people have have invested and watched grow and planned for the future with will disappear if we default on our loans. But here's the thing. Mitch McConnell's tried to play hard guy here, saying, 
yeah, we don't think we should raise the debt ceiling. We're not going to help the Democrats raise the debt ceiling. Well, that's really fucking weird because we know the Republicans have many times, numerous times, raised the debt ceiling in the very same circumstances. But Mitch McConnell and the Republicans want to own the Democrats. They don't want to look like they're helping them out. So they all refuse to vote for any raising of the debt limit, the debt ceiling, which makes it a problem. We're getting closer and closer to that point where we could default. I think uh, Yellen, uh, the uh, Secretary of the Treasury, has said that if we don't do something by December 15th, well, we are going to default on our loans, then all shit is flying all over the place. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. Not raising the debt ceiling will have horrific effects on this country. Mitch McConnell knows it. And what Mitch McConnell also knows is that it's not just going to affect the Democrats because he's got a lot of rich supporters. He's got a lot of rich friends. He himself is rich. And if the worst comes, the debt ceiling isn't raised, and we default on our loans, well, all his buddies are fucked. So there was never any way Mitch McConnell was not going to allow the debt ceiling to be raised. Now, he's talking like that. He's trying to talk tough. And when this was going on initially, I said, don't worry about it, because the debt ceiling will be raised. It's always been raised every time it's come up in history, because it had to be, and Mitch McConnell will cave. So Mitch McConnell had a problem. He had to decide, how am I going to cave without looking like I'm going to cave? (laughs) Jesus Christ. You're putting the economy of this country on the line, and you're worried about how good you look in the process. So now since Mitch McConnell has decided that no Republican will vote to raise the debt ceiling, he has a problem. Now the Democrats essentially have to go and try to figure out a way to knock off the filibuster, cut out the filibuster, do whatever, do what Mitch McConnell's done in the past. And Mitch McConnell doesn't want to see that done. He doesn't want to see the country default on its loans because it's going to hurt him as bad or worse than the Democrats. So this is what he does. He cuts a deal with Schumer and says, look, we're going to let this debt raising go through the Senate with a simple majority. That means... 51 votes, which means no Republicans have to vote for it. If all 50 Democrats vote for it, Kamala Harris then breaks the tie. The debt ceiling has been raised, which it has to be raised. It's going to be raised. So you see, Mitch McConnell is the one that caved here because Mitch McConnell had threatened in the past that if you run this through the... uh, Senate and try to get it passed, 
that he was going to institute the filibuster. Now, what the filibuster means is now you need a supermajority. You need 60 votes, which would mean you need some Republican votes, which they've already told us they're not going to vote for this debt ceiling raise. So what do you do? Now, Mitch McConnell, what he does is he says, okay, I won't filibuster. You can pass it 51 to 50. And uh, we had nothing to do with raising the debt ceiling. Well, Mitch McConnell was the main person that put it in a situation where the debt ceiling could be raised. He had to do it. So now what's going to happen is it's going to pass and it's going to raise the debt ceiling. And at the last moment, this country will be saved from ultimate economic disaster. And then what he's going to say in campaigns or just in rhetoric in general, he'll say, see, those crazy Democrats, those spendthrifts, they raised the debt ceiling, but not one Republican did. Not one Republican did. But in fact, Mitch McConnell is the reason why it would be passed because of pulling back on the filibuster. Now, here's the thing that people have to understand. When you raise the debt ceiling, it has nothing to do with future spending. It has to do with past spending. And in this circumstances, past spending is primarily spending by the Republicans and Donald Trump. They're against raising the debt ceiling on monies they've already fucking spent. They're fucking deadbeats. But somehow they want to make it look like it's the Democrats trying to raise it so they can do all this crazy spending with the bills and all this sort of stuff. Now, you see what Mitch McConnell's doing. He's betting that we are all stupid, that we don't know this. Now, he might be right to a certain extent. All the people in the base, all the Trumple fucks, they'll listen to anything. They'll believe anything. They don't read fuck all. So they'll believe whatever Mitch McConnell says. But people like you and me that have some common sense, above average intelligence, we know it's all bullshit. And that just goes to show that that's how the Republicans do business in general. They're going to make it look like future spending when everybody knows it's past spending. These are the same motherfuckers that won't vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, tell you it's horrible, tell you it's the worst thing in the world, and then as soon as it passes, they go home to their states and talk up all the great things that this bill is going to bring to their state. Oh, look at these great things. Yeah, but you didn't vote for it, motherfucker. You told us it was horrible. You told us it was a bad thing. And the only reason you did that is because it was going to make the Democrats look good. And you wanted to grab a piece of that. Now, when the Democrats are doing simply what they need to do, simply what every other fucking party has ever done in history, any time there has been a need to raise the debt ceiling, including the Republicans, now they want to use that to make the Democrats look bad, even though it doesn't make them look bad at all. This is the essence of the Republican Party. 
It's all about obstruction. It's all about doing nothing. And it's all about bullshit and trying to fool the general public. Now, they can fool the general public if we're talking about Republicans because they only believe what they want to believe. They only hear what they want to hear. Now, the Democrats, the moderates and such, they know better than this. It's a stupid ploy that nobody's ever going to buy into. And it just shows how gutless and how obstructionist Mitch McConnell is. There is no way at any time ever that we were not going to raise the debt ceiling. There really was no option because the results of not raising the debt ceiling were catastrophic economically in this country and catastrophic for fucking everybody, Democrats and Republicans alike. There's no way he was ever going to allow that to happen. But he had to play this game, act like the tough guy, try to make it look like it's the Democrats causing all these problems and spending all this money, when in fact it was just raising the debt ceiling to pay for the money that Mitch McConnell fucking spent along with Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell thinks everybody's stupid, and he's only partially right. The people that follow and support people like Mitch McConnell are fucking stupid. But they're not a big enough crowd to win an election. The base for Donald Trump is like 33%, 32%. That's a pretty good, sizable crowd. Kind of a disappointing number when you're talking about people who are stupid in this country. But it's not enough to win an election. The people who know better, that have some intelligence, know exactly what's going on. Mitch McConnell is insulting all of us by thinking he can lie to us and we'd be dumb enough to believe it. Well, I'm not dumb enough. I know none of you are dumb enough. And there's more of us than there are of them. So it's not going to work out too well for them. So the good news is the debt ceiling will be raised. We will avert certain Armageddon, economically speaking, in this country. That is good news. Not surprised by it at all. I knew this is how it would work out one way or another. Mitch McConnell would have to cave, and cave he did. (laughs) I got to tell you, man, it's sometimes upsetting watching our government. They spend so much time playing fucking games when they should be taking that time and working for us. That's why they're there. That's why they were elected. But they work so hard not to do shit for us, but to make themselves better, make them look better, to enrich themselves. That's the real problem in this country. Right now it's the Republicans. But don't fool yourself. The Democrats are just as capable of doing this, as I said in the last podcast. They're looking to pass the Build Back Better bill, a transformational bill that is going to bring money and help to the middle class for the first time in like 80 years. And that's fucked up. These people don't want to work for us. And it's been Democrats and it's been Republicans. Now, the Democrats see it as a way to beat the Republicans, so they're doing it. And as far as I'm concerned, we take what we can get and do what we can to save this country economically and save this country's democracy. Because we're hanging by a thread right now in all respects. And it's important that whoever in Congress 
get these things done so we can survive this trauma that we've suffered through with the Trump and the Republican administration. They've left this place in shambles. To think that Joe Biden can fix it all in 12 months is crazy. But coming up in the next year leading up to 2022, you're going to see a lot of changes with bills passed, benefits to the middle class, people in the Republican Party being exposed for what they are. So just relax. Don't get too anxious. Don't get frustrated. Don't get upset. There's nothing more than I hate from people when they say, oh, nobody's ever going to be accountable for this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You don't go into anything assuming the worst. You don't go into anything assuming you're going to lose. You've got to assume you're going to win. Think positively and keep charging forward until you get what you're looking to get. And hopefully that's what the Democrats and Joe Biden will do. All right. We're going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. If you have questions, comments, or whatever, please email me directly at... uh, rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, look up Rational Boomer and leave me a voicemail. So you have a great day and we'll be talking to you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.